Okay, if it's your first time with us today, uh, you are welcome. If it's your second or third time, you are welcome. If it's your hundredth time, you are not welcome. No, you are welcome as well. <laughs> Everybody's welcome. Uh, and actually, I was thinking, as I was looking out there as we were worshipping, thinking about all the, the teams that kind of make this happen, uh, the worship team, the hospitality team, the kids team, and, the, and, the, and Ben, the youth guys, and the welcome team, and the hosting team. Um, Let's just show our appreciation for everybody who kind of gets here early on a Sunday morning and makes this, and makes, makes this work, yeah? Um, it's good. All right, I want to tell you a few things about me that you may or may not know. I, th- I expect some of the things you will, you will already know, but um, number one, the first thing about me that you may or may not know is that I love technology, yeah, yeah, we know that. Yeah, gadgets. I like gadgets. I like the whole automated home thing. I like to be able to say, Alexa, open the garage, and the garage opens. I like to say, Alexa, turn on the lights, and the lights come on. I like to say, Alexa, uh, make my bed. It doesn't happen, but one day, one day. I like to have everything kind of gadgety and automated. That's just, that's just me. That's the first thing. The second thing that you uh, may or may not know about me is I don't like it when things don't work properly. It bothers me. I, it kind of keeps me up at night. If, if something's not quite right, I'll lie in bed, kind of niggling at my brain, trying to work out what it is that's going wrong, which kind of gives me a problem because when you've got a house full of technology, I've even got a Wi-Fi connected air fryer, for goodness sake, okay? When you've got a house full of technology, things invariably go wrong. And forever, it feels like I'm fixing things. I hear, Dad, Dad, this is not working. My phone's not working. Dad, can you fix things? So I'm forever fixing this. Which leads me to the third thing that you may or may not know about me. And that is, I love fixing things. I love fixing things. I do. I like things that aren't working. And then I make them work. Or things that aren't working as well as they should. And then I make it work better. Whether it's in my own house or anybody's house, really. If I'm at your house and I disappear off to the toilet and I haven't come back in half an hour, I've probably got my hands in your system trying to fix the flush or trying to make it work better. That's just who I am. That's what I do. I like to fix stuff. Um, I just can't bear things that don't work. It's kind of my personality that's also become my identity in a way. A few years ago, there was a book out called Strengths Finder strength where you find your strengths and and at the end of reading the book you're supposed to do this like this strength finder test it's like kind of like a personality test and I did this test and three of the things that came up were number one responsibility I take responsibility for things number two problem solve solver so I'm a problem solver I like to solve problems and I and I I'm quite good at it and number three is I'm an optimist all right? So I feel like actually, even if I have no idea what I'm doing, I'll have a go because actually what can go wrong? Um, so let me give you an example of this. A few weeks ago, um, you know, we've had all the traffic lights down the Ringwood Road, kind of in Ferndown, just like for months it feels like there's been traffic lights all down to one carriage. Well, a few weeks ago, I was sat in traffic and there was a traffic light out by Marks and Spencers and somebody or another group had put another set of traffic lights just up the road which meant that the cars couldn't move because this traffic light meant that there was a traffic jam this way and because it's all down to one lane, this lane couldn't go and so we were just stationary. And, and I could see this happening and I'm sat in the car thinking, I know what needs to happen right now. 
I wonder if anybody else will know what needs to happen right now, but I, I can see where this needs to be fixed. And so I'm, saying, I'm sat there for 20 minutes and nobody else does anything. They just sit there. So in the end, I wasn't even at the front. I was like 20 cars back. In the end, I pull my car over to the curb. Uh, I get out and people are looking at me thinking, what's he doing? I ran down the road to where the traffic lights are. I move the traffic lights out the way. I move all the cones for about 50 yards all along to the side of the road, move the other set of traffic lights, and then I start to call the cars through like a traffic cop. Right, you come, you come. And I get everything. And at first, the lady here, she doesn't want to move. She's like, no, no, I can't move. I was like, oh, just come, just come. And in the end, they're all tooting their horns. I'm thinking they're all thanking me. It may be that they're not. They're like, oh, you idiot, what are you doing? But I, I took it as a thank you, and they were all putting their thumbs up, and, and we managed to get the traffic moving. That's just me. I like to fix things. It's become kind of my identity, being a bit of a fixer. I wonder what you've made your identity. I wonder what you've made as, as your personality, something that you take ownership of. This is me. Maybe it's something you're good at, like DIY. Dean, or, or computers, uh, maybe you're great at those things, or maybe there's something in your past, there was an event, and not a particularly nice event, and you've kind of held on to it, and it's, and it's kind of defined you in the years since. Um, I've met some people whose identity is wrapped up in the, even in their illnesses. There's always something wrong with them, and it feels like, actually, you, you're not happy unless you've got an ailment of some sort. Your identity can be tied up in the things that you own, or in the work that you do, or in your family, or in your Instagram profile, or even in your sense of humour. We're going to explore this idea a little bit today. Uh, we're, see, we're in a series studying uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And um, it's a series that we've called Augmented Reality. The big idea is that we can live a reality, we can live a life that is beyond a normal life, beyond our normal reality. It's not a better life as such, it's a transformed life, what Jesus called life in all of its fullness. Life in all of its fullness. And last week we studied uh, one of the key phrases that keeps coming up again and again in this, in this small book of Ephesians. We saw that uh, Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, or in him. Talking about as believers, we need to live our lives in him, in Christ. And Paul says this phrase again and again. It's like 30 times in this, in this book. Uh, and because so much of this um, letter is about our identity. And the truth is, I will never know who I fully am until I fully place myself in him, in Christ. And this is the lesson that Paul is trying to get across to the Ephesian church and to us. We ended last week's message at the back end of chapter 2 of this book. There are six chapters. Oh, no, I don't want that. No. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we ended at the end of chapter 2 where Paul said, In him, again, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in him, the whole building is joined together. It feels like it's crooked. I want to fix that. Uh, uh, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Again, in him, in Christ Jesus. And again he says, and in him. So three times already, in Christ Jesus, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we've kind of got this um, in him, 
in him, in him, in Christ Jesus three times. And at the end, he flips it on its head and he's saying, you need also to be prepared. So you need to be in Christ Jesus, but you also need to be prepared to allow him to be in you. You need to make yourself ready for him to live, to make his dwelling in you. So we are in him and he's in us. He wants us together to be a dwelling for God to inhabit. And this is where we're going to focus our attention today. We're going to open up, the, this is the last verse of chapter 2, so we're going to open up chapter 3 and see where Paul takes us. Actually, let me just pray as we, as we move into chapter 3. Lord God, uh, thank you for this uh, great letter that we're going to be looking at. I pray that you will open our hearts, you will open our minds uh, to new truths, new realities. As Fabiano has said, we don't want to leave the same as we've arrived today. And I pray that as we know you better, that we'll understand ourselves better and our lives will truly be augmented. Uh, from today in Jesus name amen all right so Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1 starts like this for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles because Paul is writing this letter from a prison in Rome he's in prison in Rome he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus so he could write I Paul the prisoner of Rome or I Paul the prisoner of Caesar he could, in fact, say, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Sanhedrin. It was the, the Pharisees and Sadducees who originally arrested him and put him in prison. Or he could say, I, prison, I Paul, the prisoner of Festus or Felix. They were the two governors who kept him in prison and eventually shipped him off to Rome. But he doesn't say any of that. He says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's pretty clear about who he is. Why does he say this? Because he knows and he's confident that God has called him to this place. God has called him to be where he is. There was a time a couple of years previously when Paul was still in Jerusalem. He'd been arrested and there was an assassination plot against him. And the assassination plot fails, obviously, because he's still alive. Um, but then there's an interesting verse that comes out at this moment um, and it says this in Acts 23 it says the following night the Lord stood near Paul I don't even know what that looks like whether it's whether it's just a feeling that Paul had or whether actually the Lord came and visited him whether it was an angel whether it was somebody else who gave him a word but uh, it, God said to him take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem so you must also testify in Rome. So Paul knew that in Rome, he was where he was supposed to be. He was absolutely confident. And he doesn't get his identity from being locked up. He's not getting his identity from his circumstances. He's not getting his identity from his, from his troubles, from his incarceration, from his problems, from his bruises, or even his successes. He's getting his identity in Christ Jesus. So if in this moment he is a prisoner and his identity is in Christ Jesus, then he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's a prisoner belonging to Christ Jesus. And I think this is such a good lesson for us. As I was looking at this week, this really got me thinking about what I say about myself, how I see myself. What have I been allowing... In my own life? What have you guys been allowing in your life and keeping in our lives because we think it's my identity? 
How are we talking about ourselves to other people? Because whatever we're going through, whatever is happening to us in our lives, if we are living our lives in Christ and we are confident that he's living in us, then our identity should be in him, not in the thing that we're going through. In another one of his prison letters, he wrote about the same time uh, to the church in Philippi, the, Philippian, the book of Philippians. Paul writes this, he writes, he said, I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether I've got everything I need or I haven't, whether I'm going through something good or something bad, I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My identity is in Christ. That's where my strength comes from. So whatever's going on, kind of apart from that, whatever's going on physically in my life, my identity is in Christ. And that gives me contentment. It's a great secret to learn. All right, let's go back to this. So for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Again, this starts for this reason, which kind of implies that whatever he's about to speak about in chapter 3 is directly related to what he's just spoken about in chapter 2. And what has he just said? He just told us at the end of chapter 2, he said, you are being built together to become a dwelling uh, which God lives by his spirit. So you are being built together. You guys together are being built into a dwelling for God to inhabit. And then, uh, and then he goes on, for this reason. Um, but actually, it's interesting because at this moment, there's a little dash there. That, I took that directly from the Bible, all right, from the NIV version. If you read this in your Bible, you'll see it says this sentence, and then there's a little dash, and then Paul goes off on a tangent. It's like he gets sidetracked, and for the next 12 verses, he talks about something different. It's like he said this word, Gentiles, and it's got him thinking, oh yeah, I want to also rem remind you, Ephesian church, because you guys are mostly Gentiles, I want to remind you that you are co-heirs with the Jews of the promises of God. And he's saying this was a mystery that was hidden for generations and has now been revealed. And I want you to know, uh, you Gentiles, that you are included. You are all now included in the promises of Christ Jesus. And so he gets a bit sidetracked and he says, he says uh, you know, and I, Paul, we, I've been given this mission to spread the gospel to you Gentiles. That's my mission. So he gets sidetracked for 12 verses. And then he comes back again in verse 14. So this was verse 1. And in verse 14, he starts the whole thing again for this reason. So what I've done is I've just put the whole thing together. Uh, the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3, and then skipping up to verse 14. He says this, You are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth, derives its name. So you are being built together. You are a body. You are a family. You are becoming something together. And then he says, and now I kneel before the Father from whom every family derives its name. You are becoming something amazing together. You're, together you're becoming a dwelling in which God takes residence. You are becoming a family. A family that gets its identity, gets its name from God. 
And Paul, in this moment, is on his knees. He's kneeling. He's making, he's, he's about to launch into a great prayer that we're going to have a look at. So he's saying, I'm not kneeling. I'm not submitting before Caesar. I'm not kneeling or submitting before Rome. I'm not submitting or kneeling before religious leaders. I'm kneeling before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth gets its name. You can try and get your identity from other things. From your job, from your position, from your qualifications, from your money, from your friendship group, from your troubles, from your illnesses, from your successes, from your personalities. You can try and get your identity. But this is second. all these things are secondary. Primarily, your identity. It won't be right, it won't be fulfilled, it won't be grounded unless your identity it comes from the Father. It comes from God, the one who made you, the one who knows you best, the one who chose you. Knowing you, he chose you before the creation of the world. He wants to communicate with God, so he's sending an email. An email. Yeah, I thought that would get more of a response. No. Um, all right, so we're going to unpack. For the next few, last few minutes, we're going to unpack this prayer that Paul makes. All right, so Ephesians 3 from verse 16, it's four verses, uh, and it's a great prayer. He says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. These few verses, they are so rich. And we're going to unpack them a little bit. There's a uh, well-known uh, preacher from the last century, from the 20th century, from the middle of the 20th century, a guy called uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And my mom actually knew him. Um, but he was the minister of Westminster Chapel. and Great minister. And he did a Bible study series on Ephesians. And he took six years. He took six years, weekly Bible studies, six years going through this book. All right. Um, I had a look at his stuff. For these four verses, he spent 15 weeks, all right? Now, I'm going to spend 15 minutes. Uh, that's how deep I am. Uh, in fact, no, I'm not. I'm going, to, I'm going to do a bit longer than that because actually, I, I meant to do, cover this this week, but as I was reading it and as I was studying it, I just felt there's more here than I can cover today. So we're going to, we're going to start this week with the first bit, and then we're going to come back to it and continue it uh, next week just because there's so much good stuff in here. Um, all right, so is that okay? Yeah, so you're going to get a twofer, all right, a two-for-one. Um, uh, there are three kind of specific requests that Paul makes in this um, short prayer. It is a short prayer. It's like four verses long. And, and by the way, can I just say, prayers doesn't need to be long and fancy. Whenever... We think of somebody who we say, oh, that person's a great prayer. Often it's because they're somebody who knows great words. Maybe they use King James Bible language. They use words, I beseech you, Lord. Uh, Verily, God, I say unto thee. And uh, fill me, fill me thou with your holiness. You know, it's, it's, and 
and actually, you're talking to your dad, your Abba, father. And it doesn't need to be long and fancy. It, it needs to be real. In fact, Jesus talking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, um, he says, he said, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans do, for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. He said, do not be like them, for your father, he knows what you need before you ask him. And the prayer in that moment that Jesus tells his disciples to pray, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, it's like 20 seconds long, and it kind of covers so much. So much. It covers all the bases. Prayer doesn't have to be clever or long or fancy, but it just needs to be real. I would encourage you to spend a good amount of time in an attitude of prayer, but I think most of that should be listening, maybe. Listening and maybe even worshipping. I think it was Derek Prince who said, if I've got 10 minutes in my schedule to pray, I'll spend eight minutes of that worshipping. Prayer should be simple, can be short. All right, so in this short prayer, there are three times that Paul says, I pray that. He says, I, you know, that, that something happens. He asks God to do something. The first one, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches. And, and I was just going to jump past this, but this is too much. This is too important to understand. He's not saying, I pray that uh, you will be able to, or I pray that you will find it in yourself to do something. He's saying, I pray that out of his glorious riches, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, he has all power. In, I pray that out of his store of power, don't forget, it's all coming from him. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He wants us to be strengthened with power like he wants to give us access to God's power and the strength that we need. It's not a strength that we kind of muster up. It's not something that we have to try harder in order to do. This is a strength that God comes from God's spirit in our inner being, living inside of us. I don't know about you, but when I'm imagining a God kind of giving me power for something or giving you power for something when I'm laying hands on you or somebody, when you're laying hands on somebody else. I often think that uh, in my mind, I'm thinking God will bring this power on us externally. It's coming from him onto, onto us. And sometimes we reach out our hands when we're praying for somebody, don't we? We have, kind of have a posture like this as if God is, God, I'm praying for this person. I want you to pour your power through my hand, through my body and shoot it out like some kind of ray gun out my hand onto that person. But what Paul is saying here is, no, no this, this is going to come out of us. It's already in us. It's in our inner being. The Holy Spirit, God's presence, is already in us. So he's praying, out of his glorious riches, I may strengthen you with power through his spirit that's already inside you. And so maybe we need a slight change of the way we're thinking. That instead of coming on us externally, actually power is going to come from us internally. It's going to flow from the inside of us. To give us what we need. Paul said a similar thing in the first chapter. He said he prayed that we would know God's incomparably great power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power that's in us. The Holy Spirit. God has already put his presence in us. 
It's just a different way of seeing it. So, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the essence of this prayer that Paul is praying is not that we have power so that we can live a happier life so that we can enjoy our life more it's not for our comfort as it is more for our effectiveness and there's that word dwell again remember we started at the end of Ephesians 2 when he said we are being built into a dwelling for God to inhabit and he said he wants he's praying that God's power would well up within us so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith so Paul is praying that, that we will have the strength so that not only are we living in Christ, but more importantly, that he is living in us. And I say more importantly, intentionally, because actually, if we, I don't think we will ever to be able, able to be fully in Christ until we allow him to be fully in us. This is the important aspect of our identity. He needs to be fully in us so that we can be fully in him. But maybe this raises a question in your head. Why is Paul praying for something that we kind of already have? We already believe, and I've already mentioned that you know, God's presence is already in us. When we give our lives to Jesus, we believe that his Holy Spirit comes on us. His presence dwells in us. He already dwells in us. So why is Paul making this prayer for the Ephesian church, and by extension, uh, for us. We read in chapter 1 that um, we've been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit that guarantees our inheritance. It's already there. So in one sense, Christ already dwells in us. So I guess Paul is making a different uh, point. And I think the clue is in uh, these words here, in your hearts. Christ may dwell in your hearts. Because when the Bible writers talk about the heart, they're not talking about the pumping chamber, okay, the organ of the heart. They're not even talking about your feelings, okay, the way you feel. I know in, in our modern day society, when we talk about the heart like that, we're generally referring to how we feel, yeah? Uh, Valentine's Day and all that, feel in love, okay? It's all about the heart. Um, when you were a, a child at school, maybe you drew little hearts on your exercise book with an arrow through it and put initials in it because it's about our feelings. When the Bible writers wrote about the heart, they weren't really talking about, the, about that. Actually, it would be more uh, attuned to what we would be talking about, the brain, really. They were talking about your, your control center, the essence of your life when they were talking about your heart, your, your mind even, your spirit, your life, your soul. So Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit will work so powerfully in you that Christ takes up residence in the control center of your life. Have you ever had an upgrade on an airplane flight? It may feel like it's disconnected, but it is connected. I have once. I got an upgrade once. Uh, Fru and I had been in China. We were doing an arts festival in China. And we were at, uh, going through, um, we were on our way back, and we were at the Chinese customs, going through customs. And I got pulled out of the queue and had to go into a back room. It was a simple misunderstanding. <laughs> 
the lovely Chinese officials had found a bunch of knives in my bag. Uh, Quite harmless, I've got to say. They were kitchen knives, um, but they were knives. There were five knives that I bought on a Chinese market. Um, I have to say, they were quite vicious-looking knives. Um, that was the smallest of the knives. Okay, so they did look pretty, pretty spectacular. But they were in the, in the kitchen block, they were, and they, but they were included a couple of big meat cleavers as well. Anyway, they, they, they took all these knives out and they were kind of trying to question me about these knives. I said, look, they're just kitchen knives. I, just, I thought they looked good and I thought I would take them home. And then, in the end, they let me put them back in the bag and they, they were quite happy. But it meant we got to the gate late. And by the time Fru and I got to the gate to board the aeroplane, all the seats in standard were full. And so we got upgraded to business class. It was a real blessing. I mean, it's amazing. We sat in business class and they brought us a glass of champagne. And then we had our meals on china plates with silver cutlery. And the seat reclined all the way. But it was like the best journey ever. How, definitely how the other hard, half live. Um, it was fantastic. All right. So let's say you own an aeroplane and you invite onto your aeroplane... Um, the world's best pilot. And you find him a seat in economy, and there he is sat there, and he's looking at you puzzled, and you go, actually, you know, you're, you're quite an important person. I'm going to upgrade you to economy plus, where there's a little bit more leg room. But he's still looking at you puzzled, like, and so you go, yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. You're, 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 you're a VIP. You should definitely come up to business class. And you bring him up to business class where you can have a glass of champagne and, and china and silver cutlery. Uh, and then he still looks at you puzzled. You go, no, no, no. Okay, I get it. You're the world's best pilot. That's, this is really important. I'm going to take you upstairs to first class. You're going to have your own whole section with an entertainment system and a bar and, and your own flight attendant who's going to cater to your every needs. And he's still looking at you puzzled. And then he says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a pilot. I'm the world's best pilot. The only place you want me to be is in the cockpit. You want me flying this thing. You don't want, you don't want to upgrade me to first class. And I think we do this in our relationship with God. We, we become saved. We invite him in. But there's bits in our lives that, we, that maybe we hold back. There's sections for one reason or another. And then maybe that you hear a preach one day. Maybe I, I, once I preach a great preach. And you go home and think actually that's really touched me. And I feel like there's this area that I'm going to now give over. I'm going to upgrade him to business class. Okay I'm going to give him this area. And then a couple of years later you maybe listen to a podcast. And again you get challenged. Or you're reading your Bible and you get challenged. And you upgrade him in your heart. And all the time he's saying no, no, no. I want to fly this thing. I want to be in control. I want to take possession of your whole heart, your life, your spirit, your mind, your soul. The whole thing. And so back to what Paul is saying. He's saying, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, the entirety of your hearts, your whole life, the whole works through faith because he wants us to wrap our entire identity in him the whole thing every element of our lives because Paul knows firsthand that our joy increases directly in proportion to the amount of our lives that we surrender to him 
as we surrender more and more, our joys and our blessings and our lives are augmented beyond our expectation. A few years ago, we sold our house in Bromley and we were waiting to move to a new house down here in Ferndown. And so we were six months homeless. We didn't have a house house to live in. And Fru's parents kindly invited us to come and stay there for six months. It was really, really nice of them, very kind. And, And it was amazing because they live in an old Victorian house and there was lots of things that need fixing. Oh, so good, so great. So I spent this six months kind of doing up stuff fixing their windows, fixing the shower enclosure. I changed the baths on their, the, sorry, the taps on their, on their bath. I fixed the, the cistern and the flush system. I, I worked on their Wi-Fi and made it three times better. I, I worked on their, all their gadgets and got everything working while I was there. Um, but imagine that Chris, Fru's father, had come in one day and I was holding a sledgehammer. I'm like, oh, I've run out of things to do, but looking at this dining room wall, I think it would be better if it was open plan. I think he might have something to say about that, right? If I were kind of going at it that way. Well, uh, C.S. Lewis, great author and uh, atheist turned Christian, he describes the Christian faith a bit like this. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, I want you to imagine that your life is a living house. And you invite God to come and dwell in you. And God, who's a bit of a builder, he's a bit of a fixer like me, he starts doing a bit of work on you. And at first... You understand that there's some things that need sorting because um, he gets the Wi-Fi working better and he adjusts the taps so that it flows more uh, consistently. He unblocks the drains and he fixes the leaky roof. All these things that you knew in your life that you need, that needed doing. But then he picks up a sledgehammer and he starts to knock down a wall and he starts to move staircases and he starts to build towers and build a, a beautiful courtyard and starts to add, an, add more floors and starts to do more painful work in us. And it seems that the house that he's building is quite a different house to the house that we imagined. We thought we were going to be made into this quaint little cottage, this little bungalow, but he's building a palace. He's building a place that's fit for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's not just minor tweaks that are needed in my life. And I expect there's some things in your life too that need work. A whole new identity is required. And that's why Paul is making this prayer on the behalf of the Ephesian church and on our behalf as well. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Next week, we're going to continue looking at this prayer. We're going to move to the, um, to the next section where it starts to talk about love, and we're going to try and understand how God's love for us, if we can, if we can grasp God's love for us, how actually that changes everything, and it's crucial in us understanding our own identity. So as we finish today, I want to, I want to just uh, lay down a little bit of a challenge to you. And this challenge has the potential to transform your life. It has the potential to change your entire existence. Because you know this. this is, I'm not saying anything you don't know. You know that who you are today 
is a result of how you see yourself. Of maybe what you've accepted as your own identity. Who you've become, who you are now, is directly related to how you see yourself. And what we need to do is to hand over elements of our life to the builder, the master builder God. We need to hand over the cockpit of our lives to the master pilot, God. So what are the areas that you've been holding back? It may be that there's areas in your life that perhaps you are afraid to let God into because you're ashamed of them or because you're worried that if I let go of these areas, who will I be? This has been my identity for so long. Who will I be if I let go of this? No. Can I say that if there are kind of rooms in your heart that you are ashamed of, you don't need to be. You don't need to hide them from him. He already knows. Like we said, he knows us. He knew us and chose us. That's important. He chose us before the creation of the world. He's not surprised by how you are. He's not surprised by what's inside you. He absolutely knows. And you can hand them over to him. Knowing that he's got you. And also if there's stuff inside you that you're, there's identity aspects that you're afraid to give over because you're wondering, you're not sure who you will be if you give those areas over anymore. Can I assure you from my experience that God is, even though he's got work to do, he's a gentle, loving God. And this process of sanctification, which is actually just a, a clever word for for what we've been talking about, sanctification of him, making us more like Jesus every day, every day, a step closer to becoming who he's calling us to be. This process of giving God an all-access pass into our lives is the way to discover our true identity, the identity that God saw in you right from the beginning of time. And when everything else is stripped away, if all that we have left is God, then I know we'll be in a better position than we are now. We really will. So if you're not sure kind of how to take this further, maybe you could start with a prayer, something like, God, help me to be willing to open my heart fully to you. Give me the power in my inner being from your, from your store of riches, God. Give me the power to take this on so that you can dwell in my heart fully through faith in you. I would just encourage you to start this process today, inviting him into you so that you can find your identity in him. I am done. I'm done. Let me just pray. Lord God, I thank you for uh, your words. I thank you for the content of this prayer. And as we, uh, as we, think about this as we dwell on these ideas God as they kind of mull around in our brain I pray that you would uh, your, your power in us would, sh- would shine a light on those areas in our life that we need to invite you into those areas that perhaps we have been unwilling to change or been unwilling to stop or unwilling to reveal God I pray that you would shine a light and give us peace and give us hope that we can be 
more in you. That we can come to you with confidence, knowing that you've got our best interests at heart. Help us to become all that you're calling us to be individually and also as a church here at Sunny Hill Ferndown. We want to become together the dwelling that you inhabit, God. In Jesus' name, amen.